Good morning, listeners, to this week's news from the drug war front. My name is Jeff, and my co-presenter, as usual, is Marion. Good morning to you. Good morning, Jeffrey, and good morning, listeners. It's a beautiful day out there, but don't go out because the wind is really cold. At least the sun's out. The sun is gorgeous. So sit inside behind a window with your cup of coffee and listen to news from the drug war front because we're bringing you today all the news that's fit to talk to. You about? <laughs> well, <laughs> on drugs up here and overseas. Sadly, prohibition hasn't ended in the past week. No, no, I've didn't end while you were away, Jeffrey. Ho- unfortunately, hoped for for half my <laughs> lifetime. But <laughs> I tried, sweetheart. We kept on trying, but not. We tried mighty hard. I weren't buying it. Mighty hard, and I think we had um, right and evidence on our side. But well, we've had that on our side for like sixty years, Jeffrey, but, but it still hasn't made any difference, has it? Up against morality, power, and you know, profit. And well, yeah, and profit. It's mm. um, it's a hard, it's a hard battle. one. Yeah, it's institutionalized. Yeah, it's right sucked right into society. We've got too much money. Too many people's jobs are dependent upon maintaining the drug war, the so-called drug war. It's just, you know, it's people will not let it change while they're making a profit from it and monumental profits and wars being run on it. So anyway, mm, that's a good same point. stuff, always say that. But And, and even know. more depressing from my perspective, Marion, is that 60 years of propaganda has so inculcated the average citizen. That they are dead scared of the drugs, even if they've never seen them or had anything to do with them. They just think the tough on drugs makes sense, you know. Yeah. Crack down hard, yeah. harsher penalties, jail them, kill well, them. That'll fix them. Yeah. And it never has and yeah. it never will. No. But they still maintain that line because it's a good one-liner, Jeffrey. If no, nothing else, yeah? Nothing like flogging Sorry, a dead horse. I didn't mean to interrupt No, that. no, no, but nothing like flogging a dead horse. Oh, absolutely. It's, <laughs> it's not going to say, oops, that hurts, is it? Yeah. No, no, that's true. <laughs> All right, uh, welcome listeners to today, today's edition of News from the Drug War Front, brought to you by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation and Advocacy, and The Connection, which um, is Canberra's peer-based drug and alcohol service for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander uh, clients. News from the Drug War Front reports on um, news stories that are relevant to illicit drug users from Australia and around the world. Many of the articles featured in the program come from other sources, including the mainstream media. Um, and as such, the contents of this news from the Drug War Front broadcast slash podcast may not necessarily reflect the views and or policies of Karma and The Connection. Karma and The Connection focus on harm reduction messages, drug treatment support services, advocacy and community, community development. We seek to reduce the harms associated with drug use and its criminalisation through the provision of programs that foster community development and the delivery of person-centred holistic health care. Karma exists to promote the health and human rights of people who use drugs and people who use drug treatment services. Indeed it does. Karma and The Connection provide a wide range of services such as advocacy, peer treatment support, education, art therapy, support groups, mentoring and referrals. Above all, Karma and The Connection are harm reduction services. They're located, co-located at Bill Conan Churches Centre, Shop 17, Level 154, Benjamin Way. The drop-in hours at 10am to 4pm Monday to Friday. Contact can be made on 6253, that's a landline, 6253 3643 or by emailing karma at info at karma.org.au. 
So we can assist people with a wide range of issues, including advocacy and advice around opioid maintenance treatment, accessing and being uh, being paid, being being paid to treat your hepatitis C in conjunction with the Hep ACT and the REACH, Teach, Treat, Thrive program, helping people to cope with and overcome the impact of stigma and discrimination directed towards them as drug users, helping people to access detox, rehab and others, so referrals to other treatment services if required. Um, There's a walk-in health clinic tomorrow from 10am and every Wednesday, 10am to 2pm in partnership with Directions. You don't need an appointment for that. Uh, peer education workshops include the uh, naloxone program program, the over- opioid overdose management training program that Dave runs in court and sorry, Dave and Damo run. Uh, incorporating take-home naloxone and the FIX, which is a series of one-hour paid workshops that aim to educate people in all aspects of harm reduction. We provide assistance and advocacy for people who are experiencing social issues or having trouble navigating social services, and I don't know anybody who doesn't have trouble with that. The Connections Harm Reduction Peer Education Program, Muragadi, is for First Nations or Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander clients and the Connection team also offer the same assistance as Karma but in a culturally appropriate fashion that's tailored specifically for First Nations clients. If you're having problems associated with alcohol, tobacco or drug use and don't know where to get help or even if you just want to have a chat about your use with someone who understands and can empathise with your experience and who won't judge you for it, give Karma a call. That's 62533643. If we're unable to help you, then we'll try and find someone who can. Yeah, well said. Okay, um, the first story we've got is a local one uh, from the Canberra Times by Claire Fenwick, 14th of July. Meth has had a resurgence post-lockdown across the country with more drugs consumed in Canberra. And, of course, I think this comes from the um, notorious uh, wastewater management uh, yeah, program. The, the, only, the good thing about this is that the, the use of the wastewater management, wastewater testing, actually shows some benefit here, whereas a rule I tend to be fairly, not dismissive, but I'm not particularly in favour of it as a measure of the amount of drugs that people use, but certainly the way it's used in the first part of this article makes sense. Well, I guess me. in totality. You know, yeah, but it's, it's, just, you it's, know, a, it's an ex- incredibly expensive way... To get a broad brush, to yeah. make a really spurious statement, you know, to use data that has really spurious sorts, yeah. I could think of a number of other ways of spending that money. Indeed, but. yeah, to find out the stuff they want to know. Indeed, we can, yeah. Anyway, let's get to Claire's piece. Um, a National Wastewater Report detecting 12 different licit and illicit drugs has shown consumption in Canberra has increased across the board for most substances. The Australian Criminal Intelligence Commission, or ACIC's National Wastewater Drug Monitoring Program's latest report, detailed data taken in December 2021 and February 2022 as COVID-19 restrictions were being relaxed or removed in most jurisdictions. Compared to other Australian cities, the ACT had had the second highest capital city consumption of heroin and oxycodone. 
Average consumption of alcohol, nicotine, methamphetamine, cocaine, MDMA, MDA, heroin, oxycodone, fentanyl and ketamine all increased. However, average cannabis usage decreased in this period. That seems odd. Why would that yeah, be? Yeah, it, it does seem very... Well, in fact, there was um, a drought... Um, a marijuana oh, drought during the old that Christmas time. drought, yeah, yeah, yeah as usual, began back in the late nineteen seventies. Yeah, and it's an inevitable thing around, particularly around Christmas time. There's always a drought, especially with marijuana, with um, cannabis. I recall that being the deliberate policy that led to the introduction of uh, you know powders, speed. Oh yeah, it um, certainly heroin. was. It yeah. was a yeah. It's a, it was without not by a doubt nineteen seventy five, Jeffrey. When um, and I've said this. God, about once a month for the last five years, I think. In 1975, when Donald Mackay was murdered, there was a great, uh, there was a massive um, vacuum created in terms of an absence of um, marijuana, cannabis products. There were running, there were home invasions by people with guns on anyone who had any marijuana in terms of pounds in large amounts um, and there was incredible increase in the use of powders like heroin and particularly uh, heroin amphetamines in particular and I've always said you know it went from about 60 heroin users that I knew in Canberra to maybe a couple of thousand people that's how Noticeable it was. Well, suddenly, I didn't Melbourne, know all the people. It was a similar situation. It was a small subculture. Then yep. suddenly, it was a much larger it was one. A large one. Yep. And you know, cartels or organised crime were seeing the the money that could be made. Yeah, and absolutely. The and violence came. And in. how much easier it is to transport an ounce of um, an ounce of heroin as it as opposed to a couple of pounds or a couple of kilos of marijuana. It, you know, it was just such a, it was a no-brainer. I remember having a conversation with a guy, actually in a time in murder in Pentridge, uh, in jail, you know, for, for a murder. Yeah. Who said, you know, geez, if I only had known how easy it is to make money in this game. Yeah. <laughs> I would never have murdered anyone. I'd never have been, been there for murder. Never have been in a violence. No. <laughs> <laughs> this is much easier. Absolutely. But that wasn't at that Melbourne conference that we had, was it? Where I think it might have been. Jude. Yeah, hooked onto that boy from jail. Yeah, I think it might because he brought some dope with him to the conference. Yeah, good old Jude. She was a she yeah. was a champ at finding finding lost souls uh, and, still, with money and bringing them to still missing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, ACIC CEO Michael Phelan said the data showed the remnants of COVID-related restrictions did not impact drug markets uniformly across the country. Well, what a surprise. Organised crime groups have redoubled their efforts to supply the major illicit drug markets as COVID-19 restrictions eased, generating significant illicit revenue, but they continue to face challenges, not least from law enforcement agencies, he said. Mm -hmm. Our report helps address harmful drug consumption through improving knowledge about these influences so that tailored supply demand and harm reduction efforts can be developed and implemented by decision makers on a range of drug and public health issues. Well, that's interesting. But, but will they? Any examples there? Any yeah, actual uh, well, con- concrete? Um, <laughs> no, never seen any evidence of it being used, but it's nice to know that they like to have it there. <laughs> While the report showed increased consumption of illicit substances across the country, it has not yet reached levels previously recorded either by the program or prior to COVID-19. However, Australia had the highest methylamphetamine 
consumption per capita when compared to 24 other countries. This is according to the wastewater um, assessment. In And here comes the doozy. In the light of the numbers, Shadow Police Minister Jeremy Hansen questioned the ACT government's push to decriminalise possession of small amounts of illicit substances, concerned that it would lead to narco-tourism in Canberra. Is he that old horse, yeah. Really? Narco-tourism? People are just going to come yep. to Canberra to, Absolutely. Just, to score? You know. Absolutely. And, you know, that's always been an argument. Make something available in Canberra and everybody will want to come here. And it's only going to be available in small quantities for no, personal. No, you're only going to be allowed to have it. It doesn't mean they're going to give it to us. No, no. You know, you're only going to be allowed to have it. It's not just narco-tourism is just really... Well, it's more handsome. drug that's war propaganda, crazy. isn't it? It's more just yeah, hackneyed. It's a just a, a, a just a ludicrous out there comment that's constantly thrown in. Anyway, he goes on. Given the damaging effects of heroin and meth on users in the community, mm, it's extraordinary that the Labor Greens government plans to increase the availability of these hard drugs by decriminalising them. He said, again, using that argument. He goes on, the ACT government should instead properly resource drug treatment services which are woefully under-resourced and increase the number of police in in Canberra which has the lowest number of officers per capita in Australia because increasing the number of police, of course, is going to stop people using drugs. Well, some countries get beheaded for possessing drugs Indeed. or Indeed, so perhaps we should be increasing the numbers of machetes that police are allowed to carry. Is that the template we really want? You know, I, I just think so-called that, civilized that's society. a spurious argument, really, isn't yeah. it? The previous wastewater report, Henry, we're still going, the previous wastewater report was taken at the start of the second ACT COVID lockdown in August 2021, which showed a drop in the drug consumption due to reduced reduced social opportunities and changes in drug availability. They said that's an interesting conceptual leap that the lockdown in August 2021 showed the drop in consumption due to reduced social opportunities and changes in drug availability. That's an interesting argument. Mm. Anyway, it goes on. Prior to COVID-19, the most recent National Drug Strategy Household Survey in 2019 indicated that the ACT had the lowest recent use of any lowest recent use of any illicit drugs of any state or territory. So the wastewater... Um, survey and the National Drug Strategy Household Survey seem to be at odds with one another. One says we've got the highest number of people using and one says the lowest. Look, Marion, we've often said there is a woefully inadequate amount of research into uh, illicit drug uh, use. And people, and I think people make up stuff in the absence of knowledge, yeah? Well, a, a hundred surveys once a year per per state and or territory. Yeah. And, and you call that reliable Information. A hundred people asked. You mean? Yeah. 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 Yes. You're right. It's not uh, not research. The spokesperson said, as Canberrans continue to return to their pre-lockdown social lives, the government was committed to reducing the harm and demand for drugs through treatment and prevention. 
Quote, since the 2019-2020 budget, the government has invested almost $20 million in new funding to increase the capacity of the ACT treatment system and for harm minimisation, they said. This still goes on quoting, this includes new initiatives, sorry, that's, this includes either new programs or initiatives, take your pick, not new initiatives, it means the same thing. This includes initiatives in the 2021-2022 budget, such as a new community-led Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander residential alcohol and other drug rehabilitation facility in partnership with Wudnunga Nimitija, a six-month pilot of a fixed-site pill testing service due to launch this month, expansion of sterile injection equipment distribution program to prevent the spread of blood-borne viruses, a compre- and comprehensive treatment for people pre- referred from the ACT drug and alcohol sentencing list. So I actually think that's gobbled up all $20 million. Those and, and five they're all programs, worthwhile initiatives. Good programs, but $20 million doesn't go very far. And, and if you're setting up a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week residential services for First Nations people, that's going to take like half of that money then and there, isn't it? Well, really, $20 million is not a lot these days. The amount of tr- drug treatment services has been way... F- I've been in Canberra 20, been, 20 years, and yeah, it's way full Only inadequate. ever been two or three Yeah, it's at any given time. It's not exactly no. um, fit for purpose. It, it isn't. Um, we, don't have, we don't have the places to catch the number of users we have. No. Let alone harm minimisation services, but we do have harm minimisation services and we should make use of them, like karma. Yeah, exactly. In the way that is necessary. And getting people to treatment where they need it mm-hmm. is almost next to impossible in Canberra. We really have to refer people out of Canberra yeah. in a lot of well, ways. Well, there's waiting lists, there's criteria, there's, they won't take you if you on XYZ. If, if you want to go to residential treatment, you have to have gone to a detox first. Right, that's an absolute requirement. Um, and you have to ring every day to make sure there's a bed. Then you have to get them to hold the bed for you while you go to detox. And then God knows how long detox is going to take you. Then you get to go to your bed at residential treatment. It's a it's an incredible number of hurdles to get through. It's really difficult. Yeah. And although you can go to rehab on methadone um, or... Which took a long while to win yeah. over. Or the, yeah, what's the injectable one? Um, Sublocade and Bouvidal. Bouvidal, that's right. Oh, they actually prefer you, to, I think, to be on one of those rather than on methadone because it's a difficult thing to get people dosed daily from residential treatment. It's a big hole in the program, transporting people Takes to pick up methadone and, and, and back again. Yep. So yep. they prefer them to have the long-acting injectable, uh, long-acting drugs, opioid replacement therapies. The other if you're thing in to mention, Marin, um, yeah. sorry to interrupt. No, no, that's okay. Um, the ever-increasing restric- restriction on prescription drugs that people can use to sort of manage. Oh, yes. You know, whether it's <laughs> dexamphetamine, if they've got a, you a speed. Cannot, you can't detox or, anywhere else. You can't. Home, you mean, sorry... Is that what you're yeah, talking yeah. about? Yeah, being to, able to bring to yourself down, to manage yeah. your own. And that seems just silly, ludicrous. It does seem silly. If you've only got, um, what, we've got a maximum of, say, 18 beds? 
for resident for detox, residential detox, why do we not have the capacity to withdraw ourselves at home um, by simply being prescribed drugs that will let you down easily because yeah. it's really difficult to withdraw from a drug that you have been dependent on Cold for turkey. a long yeah. time without any, any... Any support at all. Without yeah. any treatment, yeah, yeah, without any drugs to use. And so, yeah, making them available simply through a monitored program with, you know, even through the, the weekly um, clinic through um, karma, that's at karma from ten to twelve. Mm. You know, you could we could prescribe drugs through there that people can take home, and you just have to pick people that are serious and really want to do it. Don't want to just yeah. go and play with drugs. Yeah, of course. It's, but you know, if they really want to do, it, if people really want to go to treatment, then they will do the job themselves. They yeah. don't need to have a bed in it. But it's the only way you can get detox drugs. Well, it's all a very top-down, coercive, it is. power imbalance. That's right. Morality. It's, it's, we control you. We control you. And that's been a. It doesn't matter what you're doing, as long as we have that power imbalance in treatment, the provision of treatment, and the receptor. You know, as long as there's a provider and a receptor. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. We've got a power imbalance. If yep. that's the way people are looking at it, so it's just not. Anyway, that's the end of that article, and. Interesting as it is, it seems to me that it sets two two kinds of research <laughs> against each other I to contradict does, each other. Too. And yeah, interesting, uh, but not necessarily. You brought some CDs in this morning, including yeah. a compilation of Roy Orbison, and you've picked one called The Candyman. Absolutely, Roy Orbison, Let's wonderful have, man, beautiful voice. Couldn't he sing? His greatest yeah. hits. He's a doozy. Let's have a listen to the big O. Yeah.
give you candy kisses Every single Say he started singing at seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. And he was from Texas. Yeah, just over, just across the line from uh, was it Oklahoma? Um, he was born in Texas and started singing there. Um, met Johnny Cash. He started. He had a TV show. I think when he was about eleven. Um, his amazing voice and. The, the whoever wrote the um, the forward to you know the front cover piece to that CD said that he heard Roy Orbison for the first time singing what was his first big hit um, only the lonely only the lonely or something oh pretty woman no 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 it was an early one can I have a look at the cover it was just a it was amazing but what a voice it might have been. Only the lo- only the lonely it was, and he said it was the first time and only time he had to pull over to the side of the road to listen to, to to stop driving to listen to music. Wow! Because of the the purity of his voice, and he just he blows me out that man. The song is just his voice and the songs that they're all songs I grew up with and just all through the sixties. Jeffrey, you even don't when I was eight, like anymore. yeah. Never. No, and then there are a couple of songs in there that he wrote with Tom Petty, which are really early days songs, yeah. Didn't he come back later in his career? With he did, with the uh, Travelling Wilburys. That's right. Yeah. Bob Dylan. and Bob Dylan, um, George Harrison, uh, Tom Petty. Roy Orbison, there was a gang of them. They were, and they didn't didn't re-energize his uh, career by any means, but they just, uh, you know, they just got together and played together, and they were good together. They enjoyed themselves. Probably introduced him to a whole new generation of well, just people. just brought him back into focus. I think I don't think he ever, like his son, uh, has written. Um, Articles about him, and in his, I think his book, the book on his life, his son wrote a piece about it and said, the Travelling Wilburys didn't bring him back he, to he fame. He was always He's there. Always, yeah. He was always there. Yeah, very defensive of him, but I think the Travelling Wilburys got him back into enjoying playing music and performing again yeah. because a lot of people, particularly when they were using heavily, and Roy did use heavily didn't want to go on stage all the time. He preferred to go into the studio and record. Oh, okay. Um, bec- well, you know, Just performing puts you out, out there. there. Yeah. And if puts you're the not, on. yeah, you know, if you're not feeling well or not looking well, it's a whole different thing. Sorry. It I'm- is indeed. All right, it's uh, coming up to four minutes after 11 and you're listening to news from the drug war front on 2XFM 98.3, people-powered radio. 
And uh, I think while uh, Marion has her cigarette, I'll play a song. This is Chris Isaac uh, from the album Wicked Game, and the title is the same, Wicked Game, Chris Isaac.
beautiful Chris song. Chris Isaac and Wicked Game, beautiful song, beautiful Very. voice and guitar. Yeah. yeah. I just need to correct something just in case Jack decides to uh, send me a text and tell me I was wrong. Um, Roy Orbison's first song that Sam Phillips heard was Ubi Doobie, right? His first charting hit was only The Lonely. So he was seven when he put out Ubi Doobie. Wow. And they re-recorded it when he went to Sun Records. But anyway. Still pretty impressive. It is impressive. It's a beautiful voice. A lot, and I was just thinking, a lot like Chris Isaac's voice in that, that beautiful, clear sound that he has, yeah, that very high-pitched, um, beautiful, clear voice. It's gorgeous to hear Absolutely lyrics beautiful. like that. Yeah. All right, um, July the 21st is um, International Drug Users Remembrance Day and we've got a piece here. Um, I haven't got the author, unfortunately. I forgot to um, note it down, but uh, they've written um, July the 21st, International Drug Users Remembrance Day is one day among all the others when the people we have lost continue to pop up in our thoughts through little memories, good or bad, and Indeed. I'm sure that applies to you as much as me, Mary. Indeed, Donald, it does. It's a day to acknowledge and value all of the lives that have been needlessly lost worldwide. I'm just one young drug user amongst millions living in Halifax, Nova Scotia in Canada. Each passing year, I lose three or four friends and comrades due to the toxic drug, drug supply and the policy conditions and the prejudices that, they, that create it. The first one over the past 12 months that really shocked me and hit me hard was Jesse Harvey, who died in September. Seems like everything we find out these days is through our phones or social media. Mm. It takes on a surreal, sinister feeling when you scroll and see your favourite harm reduction journalist tweet, I'm at a loss for words this morning, hashtag harm reduction has lost yet another one of its quiet heroes. And then you realise that you knew the person well. Yeah. Jesse was such a brave young advocate creating and affecting change as co-founder of the Church of Safe Injection, Safe Injection in Maine. He was one of the first non-Canadian advocates I spoke to uh, with depth. I spoke with depth as my commitment to international advocacy grew. We actually talked about maybe setting up a Canadian chapter, but at that time, most of my focus was on working to open up our local overdose prevention site. Jesse was just passing out safe supp using supplies, naloxone and fentanyl testing strips, even when we were when doing so was illegal because that was who he was. He talked about his battles to register the church as a non-profit and win it religious exemption from US drug laws. He's quoted as saying, we're not saying it's our religious belief to use heroin. No, not at all, he told um, NPR the year before his death. We're saying it's our sincerely held religious belief that people who use drugs don't deserve to die when there are decades of solutions. His passion and determination to fight for drug users, no doubt dismissed by some as naive idealism, reminded me of myself or of the advocate I wanted to be. I still think about him and draw strength from his attitude. When I work in the North American drug user movement, every day, that's the legacy he left us. I know there are a lot more people than just me thinking about you and missing you today, Jesse. Rest in power. My grief is personal and coloured by the knowledge that it could easily have been me. At the same time, it's experienced by millions of others in their own ways. The recent death that haunts me uh, the most was of my... Most, uh, my local close friend of the same first name, Jesse Body, who passed in February this year. 
He was such an amazing, funny guy, funny, thoughtful and full of energy and one hell of a baseball player, which is how we met. Every member of our drug-using and recovery communities here remembers him that way. He had lost his brother to a murder which hurt him for the rest of his life. Like Harvey and me, he had cycled in and out of abstinence-based recovery. As his obituary put it, quote, he was a long-standing member of the recovery community and built extremely close relationships within it. He was interested in others and always found a way to bring laughter or a smile to someone's face. His loss was an awful blow to so many of us, but I think mostly of his family, his baby girl Lydia, his strong, compassionate partner Nicole, and many more family members. I miss you every day, Jesse. You're a huge reason why I continue to advocate not filtering what I have to say. I hope I can make you proud. And, of course, we've got our Remembrance um, Day every October, Families and Friends for Drug Law Reform. We do. And the names get read out, and it's always emotional. And, and I'm wearing my overdose awareness. Are, I've got are. one on just about every top that I have, Jeffrey. Usually got one on this shirt as on this shirt as well. But oh, yeah, good for you, Mary. I've got about half a dozen of them. I wear them on everything. It's constantly. just so tragic how many people's lives have been cut short because of a yeah, policy that. And it's things like Jeffrey. It's coming out of jail. It's coming out of rehab. It's. Do you know what I mean? Yep. That's generally the. The problems, using alone, using when you're meant to be abstinent, you know, when everybody else thinks you're abstinent, yep. using when so you, you can't to afford to be yep. publicly seen to be using. Yes. Um, even when you advocate for it, and this story, this article from Canada, although it is from there, echoes what we go through oh, all the time. The same Jeff. story would apply. The names would just be different. Yeah, it does. Yeah, same place, a different place, same per, same personalities, really. He concludes, uh, my grief is personal and coloured by the knowledge that it could easily have been um, me. Another friend uh, overdosed shortly before Jesse died. At the same time, it's a grief experienced by millions of other people in their own ways. In the United States last year alone, 93,000 people died of overdose. More than 6,000 lost their lives in Canada and thousands upon thousands elsewhere in in the rest of the world. The tolls just keep climbing, even when they don't include deaths from health-related conditions, deaths inflicted by the incarcerating system and more. Every single one of these human beings mattered, regardless of how widely or not they're mourned. We've learned in the worst possible ways. That's the message of the International Network of People Who Use Drugs, inputs, hash put more than campaign, which highlights that we are all more than a casualty of the drug war or any other label that denies our inherent humanity. We are all individuals with multiple identities, interests, passions and dreams. Well, we're human beings, Marianne. Yeah, and Jeffrey, I think the data in Australia is that um, our overdose rate um, is higher than our death rate from car crashes, yeah? yeah I think I've heard you say Pretty that. Pretty sure that, that we had an article on that a couple of weeks ago and that was a real shock to me um, we've, because I've never seen that comparison before. Um, and and it, it really worries me that we are still, at this rate, going through the grieving process and, well, the horror but not the surprise, if you like. It's still a horror but it's inevitably not a surprise that people are overdosing 
because of how they have to use in secret. And there are still funerals where families don't want uh, yes, their drug use Yes, it's still a friends. secret. They won't, even when they're dead, they won't let come out and say they were drug users and had to use alone. Which is just desperately sad. Yeah, and when I first started working in the drug and alcohol field, the overdose deaths were all written down as ceasing to breathe, like respiratory failure. Wow. It wasn't overdose. It was respiratory failure. Well, of course it was bloody ex- respiratory That's failure. That's what you die of. You <laughs> die of stopping, stopping breathing. breathing. That's what happens. That's but, why we have naloxone. But the cause <laughs> is a whole different thing. Stopping breathing is a yeah, – that's, a, a, that's the event. It's not the reason. It's actually a travesty of justice that it, it took so long. I yes. Mean, and Karma was the one to initiate the first – peer-based naloxone program. Yes. Given that it works to yes. resuscitate and people. And it does nothing else, Jeffrey. And we say that every week. It doesn't hurt. It doesn't harm. It does nothing else. It does one thing, but it does it properly. It yep. reverses the effects of opioid overdose. And if you That's use it. alone or know someone that uses, you know, or even just care about your fellow citizen... Yep. Contact Karma, contact Gabe or Damo, sign up for the, the workshop. It's and only an hour. It. Yeah, and you, you get paid for doing it. You get a kit. Yep, and, and you get to know how to do um, initial first aid, how to maintain somebody's heart until either naloxone kicks in or an ambulance turns up. But it, there's nothing... Nothing, there is no, nothing to be gained by not doing it. Double no. negative again, but really doing it is a great help and a great way of learning to understand what happens to people when they overdose, how you can identify an overdose in the street and what you can do about it instead of being helpless. Yeah. And yeah. it should, should be out in the community as much as possible. Absolutely. And the chemists are now... And sell it over the counter. Yep, selling it over the counter and making it available as it should be for free. And I have a friend who thinks that every McDonald's manager should have an Aloxone kit. Is that right? Uh, Yeah, yeah. She's 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 a great one for us. She thinks that every manager should know how to do uh, opioid overdose reversal. Yeah? And I said today when he was on the... I've got a girlfriend who says that you should be training... Um, McDonald's, McDonald's managers, and he said, "Oh, yeah, okay." <laughs> I hadn't thought of that one. Well, it's right. He probably had, just have to think about it. The places that people have to have a shop these days are places where you can spend a little bit of time, yeah, making it ready, and where you can dispose of your equipment sensibly, yeah, um, and reasonably. And it's not in the way; doesn't hurt anybody. So, yeah, absolutely. I think it makes sense. I'll just finish this piece from Canada. It sickens me that we collectively have to live through all this trauma and despair and the burnout that it creates while taking on the cruel world against people who use drugs. I'm grateful to all those who offer support and strength in this fight. I hope people take a moment today, which will be Thursday, July 21st, as on other days, to remember the people we've lost, understanding that they did not die because they're a bad person or because they made a mistake. They died because the structures that are in place shored up by racism and many other forms of hate and inequality, force harm against people who use drugs. They die because they are denied their humanity. Yes. Yeah? Yeah. And and 
His right of prohibition is a structural, look, I, I think it's a denial of basic human rights, but it's, it, it, it's also a, a cruel and unjust system. system yeah, 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 and it's just it's inbuilt now. It's just, you know, it's such a, yeah, it is. It's inbuilt. And it's global. Yes. And it's backed up by the United Nations, for goodness sake. Yeah, you know. and but the... the uh, the United Nations has one part of one section saying harm reduction and the other section saying fund the interdiction yeah. to the nth degree, yeah? And it depends on which... Which branch you're talking which to. Which branch you're talking to and who is put... <clears throat> which donor country is putting the most money into which section of the United Nations mm. as to what their mantra is. Yeah. They often contradict each other, but it depends on who's funding it. That's a very, yeah? very good point. And they do, they are subject to the donor country's um, input and their influence. Well, yeah, it's a collective. It's made up by the collective um, That's right. member states. Yeah. Uh, it concludes, those memories and that knowledge should inform everything that we do. The more I think about what today means, it is right there. We've learned in the worst possible ways that we must accept nothing short of the right of all drug users to be safe, healthy, happy and unashamed of who we are. Yeah, and I think that's really pertinent. And keep that in mind, gang. You should be. You have a right to be safe, healthy, happy and unashamed of who you are. Yeah. Yeah, make sure you keep that in your head. Don't be ashamed of who you are. Because the other thing is, and I include myself in this, that the guilt that you've felt, especially as a youngster, and the you know the need to be and still quiet and yeah, and, and keep yeah keep it to yourself. Don't tell people the truth because if they ask you, are you still using? They don't want to hear the answer unless it's no, no, yeah. yeah. They don't ask the question so that you can tell them the truth. No. They ask the question so that you can tell them what they want to hear. That's right. And I, I know damn well that my extended family, cousins, etc., don't want to know that I'm still using. They're just not interested. They want to hear me say, no, I don't use it because it's a habit. Yeah, and the yeah. Me media like to hear a great, you know, they love transformational a recovery story. Recovery yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm, I'm a hero. I got over it. To I be came through it. Yep. <laughs> came, <laughs> oh, came through the trials and yep. tribulations. Yep. Stopped hurting my family. No, not hurting my family at the moment. They might not like it. They might not understand it, but. They accept it, my immediate family, yeah, my my kids. Yeah. They accept it. They know that's what I do. They don't necessarily approve of it. They don't like that I have a habit, but they do accept the fact that I do it. Well, it's not like legal drugs aren't without, um, without the negative same thing. No. aspects as well. I mean, how many people have died from smoking or, you know, alcohol or... And I was just talking to you about it before. When I was at university, I had a caffeine addiction. Yeah, and how many people in Australia do you think have caffeine addiction Plenty. now? Just as Jeffrey's drinking <laughs> the rest of, of coffee. his coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and I, yeah, I think coffee's coffee's the new marijuana. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, we it's love a, our coffee. Absolutely. I mean, I know even. Now I still need two. Co I don't drink coffee all the way through the day, but I still need two coffees to get going in the morning. Yeah, 
it's an absolute must. Yeah. And I think there are probably a whole range of people who wouldn't say that their caffeine consumption was an addiction, but, but if they thought about it quietly to themselves, they'd have to acknowledge that they probably do have a habit. If they want to get going in the morning. Yeah, it gets it kicks them off. They need that coffee. And if you keep on drinking coffee all day, you won't be able to sleep at night. Because it's a stimulant. I, my, my father was a very large coffee drinker, and one day he decided just he was going to quit cold turkey, and he went through hell. Yeah, <laughs> I looked at the same thing when I finished my my studies. I just because I was using no dose to get yeah, through right. doing all my uh, doing my all nighters yeah. to get my all my stuff and, yeah. put in before the end of semester. I had a shocking withdrawal period from headaches, nausea. Um, agitation. It was really very uncomfortable, uh, but that was no dose, and no dose were 100 milligrams of caffeine, pure caffeine. That's right. Yeah, well, real knockers, and boy, and straight over the, you can still get them over the counter. Can you? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, cheaper than, than amphetamines. Stop banging the desk, Mary. It's probably giving all the listeners a pip. All right, you've picked another CD, another one of yours, Mass, Mark yep. Bolan, Acoustic Warrior, and uh, what have I picked, uh, Telegram Sam? Yeah, Telegram Sam was the one we talked about. All yeah. right, here's Mark Bolan. We'll speed it up.
All right, Mark Bolan, and uh, that was live, obviously. Yeah, Telegram. Weedy little voice. So yeah. compared with um, compared with Chris Isaac and Roy Orbison, just say, well, Mark, mm, stick Stand to stick to the guitar because yeah. <laughs> he was good on that. Yeah. And thanks to Jack for his um, message. It's nice of him to acknowledge that Ubi Doobie was <laughs> close enough, awesome. or not only the lonely. And have a good trip, Jack. Yeah. Enjoy yourself. And, yeah, if you can listen to news from the drug war front in Spain, I'd be very pleased to send you a shout-out when you're gone because I know Pete will tell us when you're actually there. Awesome. I hope you have Have a great great time time and have a good trip. Yeah. Yeah. A month, I think, he's going for. Fantastic. No, way to go. Well, it's no point flying out of the country for less than a month, really, is there? Well, yeah, I just hope he's not flying into the fires because there's lots oh, of bushfires yeah. over there, Actually, Jack, at the moment. It's really bloody hot. The heat wave in Spain, Portugal. Mm-hmm. 40 degrees in England at Even the moment. Even in, yeah. in England. I know. And I think same the down there. Hottest ever recorded. Hey? The hottest, yeah, yeah, hottest yeah. temperature ever the, recorded. They're, um, I think their highest recorded temperature prior to that was 37.5 or something. And I, I think they hit 40 in parts of the UK. Morning. Yeah. yeah. All right, we've got a story from the New Zealand, which we don't often have pieces from New Zealand, but no, this is from the New Zealand Herald from, yep. by um, Philly Franco. Local focus, reducing drug harm means admitting, for most of us, drugs are harmless. Recent fentanyl overdoses in uh, Fararapa have sparked discussions on harm reduction around, around drug use. Criminologist and Know Your Stuff Chief Executive Wendy Allison says the majority of people who use drugs are not misusing them. Quote, we know that the Misuse of Drugs Act labels all use as misuse, she said. But the reality is, is that if we care about harm, then somewhere between 85 and 97% of people who use drugs on a regular basis are not harmed by them in any significant way. And that would probably be similar figures here. Oh, we think so. You know, yeah, very. Yep. The majority of people. Use Depends on how much, yeah. how much you know about your population, basically, doesn't it? Yeah. Really. Um, so the vast majority of drug use is not misuse, and it's not harmful. Yeah. Alison says her ideal situation would be a change in drug laws recommended by the Law Commission in 2010. Quote: One of the first recommendations was to repeal the Misuse of Drugs Act and replace it with legislation administered by the Ministry of Health, she said. We've had 50 years of punishing people and criminalising people and driving drug use underground and saying, just don't do it. We've got more people than more, more people using drugs than ever before and more people being harmed by drugs than ever before. Mm-hmm. So the Misuse of Drugs Act doesn't reduce use, it doesn't reduce harm, it's time for something different, let's just do that. Indeed. Alison Stark claims are borne out by recent events. Wairapa uh, recently saw 12 fentanyl, uh, fentanyl overdoses in a 48-hour period due to it being sold as cocaine and methamphetamine. One week later, in the Tararua district, Tararua district, another man was found overdosing on fentanyl. Officials expect the drug spiking to be from the same batch. The New Zealand Drug Foundation has stated it is, quote, nothing short of a miracle, end quote, that there were no fatalities among Wairarapa's fentanyl victims. Wairarapa. Wairarapa. Yeah. That's because fentanyl is normally used in much smaller amounts than the drugs victims were consuming. 
Um, Alison said the concern is that people will take that larger dose thinking it's cocaine or methamphetamine and then they will have a significant overdose of fentanyl. Carterton Mayor Greg Lang issued a warning to residents urging the public to, quote, check on friends and wanau to make sure they're aware of this issue and not to be afraid to call an ambulance if you or a friend become unwell after using a synthetic drug. Alison said a lot of people are nervous about being busted by the drug checks. Quote, we're no, we're not the cops and we're not about to arrest them, she said. We don't actually care about that stuff. We just want them not to die. Alison says illegality has caused considerable confusion around drug testing and the drugs themselves. She's quoted as saying, often the first thing that happens is, quote, teens, end quote, will try it and discover that they haven't grown an extra head or suddenly become addicted to heroin because they had a puff on a joint, which is, you know, always going to be still one of those old-fashioned sayings, you know, just try it once and you're hooked. Well, all the way back to that ridiculous film, Reaper Madness. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's really old-fashioned stuff, isn't it? Faster, faster. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) More, more, more. Faster, faster, faster. Um, Anyway, because they had a puff on a joint. And then they'll go, well, that was actually kind of fun. I enjoyed myself. None of the things that my parents told me would happen have happened. So what else are they lying to me about? Well, that's what we've been saying for years, Jeffrey, isn't it? It is. When the government lies to you about something like drugs, we we always thought growing up, what else are they lying about? Well, it calls into question, what can you trust? What can you trust? And who can you trust? Who can you trust, yeah. Yeah. The reality of most is that most of our clients are not taking drugs to escape. Drugs, on some occasion, enhance an enjoyable experience. God, this sounds like me. For example, MDMA and night out dancing is enhanced for most people by taking this drug. In terms of problematic drug use patterns, Alison said it's related to people not understanding the scientific facts about drugs and how they work inside the body. That's a really important point. It is an important point. Like actual evidence-based information. And and having that information, and it's so difficult to get the information about how drugs work, what their intended effects are and what the side effects are and what the contraindications are. Because it's a complicated um, explanation that you have to sit down and have it explained to you by someone who knows what they're talking about. It's usually a pharmacist or a chemist or a biochemist and not many people do that kind of instruction on drug use or on drugs full stop. One of the funniest campaigns, it was a couple of years back in the New South Wales government, I think it was Stoner Sloth, and it had somebody sitting at the table dressed as a sloth, <laughs> behaving like a real, you know, like slow motion slur in their words. Because <laughs> it's smoked a joint. <laughs> it was just, I think they pulled it because it got so much. <laughs> it got so much flack from yeah. it. Well, people were just laughing too much. In terms of, um, okay, the quote goes on a number of our clients who are experimenting with drugs at a young age, teenage people, are not aware that MDMA is a substance that should really, only really be taken once every six to eight weeks. 
Quote, it actually takes time for your body to recover the brain chemicals that are required for MDMA to work. And in the meantime, you're going to experience certain things in your mind because those chemicals have been depleted. Perhaps people don't know this because nobody tells them about using MDMA safely. Well, that's a, an understatement, isn't it? <laughs> they just say, don't use it. Future leaders youth coach Tara Robinson finds some of her clients, her Wairarapa, are using cannabis, Panadol and pharmaceuticals to self-medicate rather than for fun. Quote, being open with it is the only way to learn and to be safe with what you're doing, she yeah, said. Yeah. Here. Quote, the biggest motivation we find with doing drugs, particularly here in Wairarapa, with the young youth, the young youth, is escapism as well as trends and anxiety. anxiety. The overwhelming anxiety is really, really leading to the use of cannabis. People self-medicating, they don't usually, they don't necessarily feel good on drugs prescribed by doctors, so they think this is the next best solution. The other big motive we find is parental involvement. So families who kids whose kids are born into drugs. Robinson says that the recent introduction of spot-testing students and sniffer dogs in Wairarapa schools won't help, but involvement with harm reduction agencies will. Sniffer dogs in schools, now, that will really fix Drug it. testing, spot-testing students and, drug, and sniffer dogs in schools, that sounds so like Midwest America, doesn't it? It does. And and they'd probably do something about it with those dogs, whereas, you know, you get someone with a shotgun in Texas and for an hour and a half, the <laughs> coppers are there doing nothing. Doing nothing. Nothing. And it was actually the uh, border police that came in and shot the guy with that had already killed already 21 killed. Yeah. people yeah. and then the hour and a half that the cops stood there and did nothing. And one twiddled their thumbs. Waited for the order to go in. God. Drug use, this, this sounds like us, drug use is just a fact and it's about how we deal with it safely. The Drug Foundation hosted a pop-up testing facility in, uh, hosted pop-up testing facilities in Masterton and Carterton last week. Otherwise, Wairarapa residents wanting to test their drugs can buy fentanyl test strips in person and online at the New Zealand Needle Exchange for $2 each. Reagent tests are available at online <coughs> are available online at the hemp store Aotearoa. Well, I know that one. Aotearoa and Dance Safe for testing other substances that like MDMA. Like a, a positive change for New it Zealand. It does for New Zealand. Very positive. Police recommending using um, this is a, a website highalert.org.nzealand NZ where people can source. Uh, fentanyl test strips to check if a substance contains fentanyl. I'd be really suspicious of that if I was I'm in New sure Zealand, wouldn't you? I'm not sure I'd be ordering them from the police. I'd be ordering them from the um, Yeah, if you can NGO. get it from, <laughs> from if you can, yeah, if you can get it from Dance Safe or Hemp Store Aotearoa, I'd be doing that. Alison recommends the um, psychonaltowiki.org and tripdatabase.com and Eero, E-R-O-W-I-D, erowid.org. That's one for, of the first um, faults of drug information that I ever came across. It's what? Erowid.org. Yeah, was it? Yep. 
it's still there. I'm not sure if it's up kept up to date, but certainly in the early days, you could you could find accurate information about all sorts. Of I've never heard of it, but then I'm a I'm a you're a non dummy internet person. I'm a dummy yeah. inter- interblogger for understanding the safe quote safe dosages. I probably mean safer dosages involved in any recreational drug. More information on drug checking events, harm reduction and home test sourcing is also available online at thelevel.org or the level or one word dot org dot New Zealand. That's probably something similar in That's Australia. It's quite a heartening piece. It is. It's good to hear um, some good news yeah. from New Zealand and I suspect it's really amazing um, that um, Prime Minister of New Zealand is basically the envy of every other country. She's you know, a they're global ben- star. <laughs> She's a global superstar. But many countries are very envious of New Zealand for having a Prime Minister such as she is. She's such a normal person, you know. She's well, had a baby she's such in a opera. Human she's being. just yeah. talks normally, dresses normally. Behaves like a human being. Yeah, speaks about normal uh, issues. And really, she actually even drew ScoMo out of his ScoMoness mm. and showed him up for being the idiot he really was. Yeah. No. Which I thought was wonderful. Got a lot of respect for her. All right, I'm going to play a track showing um, my vintage. Um, this is Pink Floyd and <laughs> have a cigar. <laughs> <laughs>
one of those really long fade out ones that uh, DJs hate. Yeah, Pink Floyd did a lot of that. Um, <laughs> they did. That was from Wish You Were Here and uh, Have a Cigar. Yeah. Okay, it's about twelve minutes to midday, or actually. Maybe 11 minutes to midday. Yeah. We've got a story on alcohol to finish off the show. Yeah, or non-alcohol as a case maybe. I'll just send a shout-out to Mary and Adam who are in the car listening to us um, at O'Connor, I think, or maybe driving home from there. And just a little precursor next week, although it's April week, we might bring in. I found an album this morning called Acid Days which has got some interesting tracks on it, one of them from Donovan, Atlantis, which people will probably remember, and The Crazy World of Arthur Brown and the Small Faces are some fabulous tracks. Anyway, back to this article. Why Some Aussies Are Choosing to Quit Drinking for Good by Leah Kim. This is uh, junkie.com from the 8th of July 2022. Having a cheeky beverage is basic an Australian ritual at this point. But there's a growing movement of Aussies choosing to skip the grog for good. July can mean a lot of things for Australians, the end of financial year, a cheeky early Christmas or spending a whole month wondering how it's July already. It's also the month of dry July, which challenges Aussies to go alcohol-free for a month and raise money for cancer patients. For some people, like Sober Mates founder Sam Wilson, not drinking alcohol became more than just month, a month off and changed into a new lifestyle. Quote, I've been sober almost two and a half years. I was what you would call a heavy social drinker. And that's what I called myself, Sam told Junkie. Sam had toyed with the idea of going sober for a year before actually deciding to quit. At the time, she was spending most weekends drinking with friends. She's quoted as saying, My identity was so closely aligned to drinking, I was like, well, I can't not drink in Australian culture. Well, I dispute that. I don't drink, Jeffrey, and you don't drink. No, I'm and not that's a as a matter of course, I don't drink and I don't like me don't when I'm drunk. don't feel un-Australian because I don't drink. Yeah, so... <laughs> Drinking alcohol has nestled itself into Australia culture, Australian culture. And this report from RMIT and the Victorian government points out there are very few occasions where drinking alcohol is not encouraged. It also notes how alcohol can be integrated into our language and social norms. Take things like shoeys, shouting rounds and our popular take on happy birthday. Yeah, it's part of every celebration, every, you know, birthday. Yeah. So many things that you do. Yeah, everywhere. Of course, many countries around the world also have their own drinking cultures, but Sam talks more specifically about the binge drinking culture here in Australia and how it differs from other parts of the world or some other parts of the world. Quote, I think we have a very casual uh, approach to our drinking culture. We're more likely to commend someone for getting black at drunk than to commend someone for not black out drunk, I think she means to say. Yeah, I must have. Um, Than to commend someone for not drinking, said Sam. Not in every area of Australia, but in a lot of it, we take a really chilled approach to alcohol. We don't really assess what it's doing to our bodies, to our minds, to our mates. That peer pressure drinking culture is just there. The Australian government has done a lot of research and policy work in this area for decades, but the recent pandemic pushed our, pushed our cultural relationship with alcohol into the spotlight. And also the Australian government might have done research, but they haven't done any policy to try No, I haven't done anything bad. And really, the, I think the highlighting of the um, violence against women was more likely to have brought the extent of Australians' drinking culture more to the forefront. Yes. Because uh, 
the amount of crime and particularly violence against women that's committed under the influence of alcohol it's is staggering. more frequent than not, Appal- I would say. Appalling. Yep. For Sam, the pandemic meant that uh, meant there was a reduced social pressure to drink, and as a self-identified social drinks, as self-identified social drinks, that made the decision easier for her to keep up. I gave a quote. I gave up drinking five weeks before we went into lockdown, so it's a different experience than people going sober now. From where we are now to where we were two years ago, like the shift has been insane. The amount of alcohol-free options that we have now, the amount of alcohol-free options that are advertised that weren't two years ago. However, we also saw a spike in alcohol consumption over this period. Data from the ABS showed that more women increased their alcohol consumption than men, especially those aged 40 to 50. But some studies showed that this wasn't the case for young Australians. The younger this is a quote, the younger generations that are coming through, they are drinking less than their parents, Sam noted. And I commend the 18-year-olds coming through now because I was not like that. I didn't have the mindset that they're so strong and they're so educated. What an interesting perspective. It is an interesting perspective. I remember that my excuse for... um, I'm not sure if my excuse for having sex was being drunk or my excuse for being drunk was having sex. (laughs) (laughs) But certainly one was a precursor to the other. And I'd say that's true. An enabler. A lot of youngsters, yeah. Well, and I think that's one of my personal stance is that it is a lack of decision that leads to many teenage pregnancies. Mm. So no decision to to stay sober. No decision to not have sex, no decision to um, use contraception, mm. no decision to have a termination, no decision to have to adopt the child. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. A whole series of a lack of decision making, just going with the flow, and not changing, not making a decision to not get pregnant, not making a decision to use contraception, not making a decision to not be drunk to the point of blackout so you can say, I don't remember what happened, because that's what happens with a lot of teenage girls. That's what I think, and I'm only saying that's my personal perspective. Yep. I'm not saying everybody behaved that way. No. I'm just saying that's what I thought happened Look, when I was a teenager. alcohol is not risk-free or harm-free. Not at all, and in fact... It is probably the most harmful drug um, that we have available in society today. And I think it certainly is up there causing the most and if you harm Well, if you look at the data, yeah. that it will say that it is the most harmful drug that we have available in today. Um, but then, you know, what's a drug? What counts as a drug? It's um, oxygen. Could probably be counted anything as a drug. Anything that changes yeah. your consciousness, or indeed, yeah. well, anything that changes the way your body behaves from the way it is normally. But then, what's normal? You know, yeah. you get into those really deep the, philosophical the discussions. Port, the port and cigar stage of the um, dinner conversation yeah. is what is normal. Yeah. Well, thank you, listeners. For yeah, great week, Jeffrey. I had a great show today. I had thank such you, fun with you. Yeah, it's so nice to have you back again. Thank you, kindly, Mary. And thank you to all those people who sat in for Jeffrey. I don't wish to 
denigrate your contribution in any way whatsoever. It's just quite clear that Jeffrey and I have a five-year casual Tuesday relationship that we're very comfortable with. Indeed. So our love goes out to all of you. Look after yourselves, Take look care. after each other, and we'll talk to you next week. Indeed. Love you all. APRA next week. Take care.